welcome to the Bullcast Podcast. I'm Katie Pickler, and with me is Court Winsett. Hi, Katie. How are you? <laughs> oh, I'm here. <laughs> and Cameron Spann. Hello, hello. <laughs> okay, we've got kind of a fun episode. I do have to put a disclaimer on it. I am... Um, on drugs. I am on drugs. I'm a little less than a week out from my knee surgery, so mm-hmm. I am on some high-dose pain pills, but... That's my dedication to Bullcast is I uh, crutched on in here. You know, Cam thought he was about oh, to get attacked. Oh, my word. I heard her coming around the corner. It sounded like Annabelle in a rocking chair in somebody's attic. I was <laughs> terrified. <laughs> but uh, we're dedicated to making sure you get plenty of great content at all times. So if I sound a little off, then... um, It's just, the drugs. It's the drugs. It's kind of like you remember kids back in school and it's like, here's Don't your, do drugs. Here's your brain. Here's your brain on drugs. Yeah, that's real. Because that's my brain on drugs right now. <laughs> there was a follow-up commercial to that. I don't know if you remember it. It starred Rachel Lee Cook, and she did This Is Your Brain, This Is Your Brain on Drugs. But she, like, then went off on the kitchen and started swinging the frying pan around. Like, you know, the original This Is Your Brain, This Is Your Brain on Drugs was just crack the egg and yeah. show it frying. But she, like, smashed the egg with the frying pan and then was like, this is what it does to your family and smashed all this other stuff with oh, the frying wow. pan. Whoa. I mean, like, Rachel Lee Cook was like this little tiny slip of a thing. And, like, she went off. I'll, I need to pull that up on YouTube and see <laughs> if I can watch it. that. Is yeah. today's episode about Big Pharma? <laughs> oh, Big Pharma. <laughs> Pretty much it should be. Sorry, but... That yeah. is a whole episode in itself is the drug industry. Mm. Um, the prescription drugs. Indeed. <laughs> yep. Okay, no, this one is... We're talking about Dave. I mean, yes, Dave Grohl, that's the best Dave, right? <laughs> our our boss and mentor might take issue with us uh, not including him, at least in the top three Daves. Cool Dave. I, he is. The only way he's called Dave in my mind is Cool Dave. Mm. If somebody calls him Dave, I'm like, Mm, nails yeah. on a chalkboard because so, so maybe that's how we get around it is we're referring specifically to dave's we're yeah. not including david's and if that is the case then dave Grohl is definitely the number one dave in all seriousness then we're actually going to be talking about dave ramsey on this episode and you may have heard us mention dave several different times over the past hundred plus episodes we're going to talk about who he is. Most people know who he is, but definitely in our line of work, Dave Ramsey gets brought up every so often. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely something that we have to, we have to understand his teachings and what he has taught people to believe in. And then we have to have our opinion. And so Court and I may have a little fun banter later on in the episode talking about whose side are we on. So, okay, I'm going to go ahead and call it. Court, you are going to be on the Dave side. I don't want to be on the Dave side. Well, you get to be on the Dave side and I get to be on the non-Dave side. And it doesn't mean that you're declaring your loyalty, that you are a Dave person. It is just... It definitely does not mean that I am a Dave person or that I am (laughs) declaring my loyalty for Dave Ramsey. It is just for purposes of this episode so our listeners can understand better kind of a true like debating back and forth. And this is not going to be just a I hate Dave Ramsey episode. We're going to educate you guys on what the Ramsey method is is and kind of just our thoughts about it because again we're this is an education podcast Mm -hmm. katie's against and court is for then i'm switzerland you're switzerland you're kind of you're the question master i like it yeah dave is arguably the most famous financial guru in today's world and he has disciples I mean, I'm oh, going to call indeed. them disciples. Yeah, I mean, Cult? yes, yes. It's it. It is the the dedication to Dave Ramsey can be pretty intense. I'll say, yeah, for sure. And he's 100%. very polarizing. Um, Just because he's one of the most famous gurus doesn't mean you have to listen to his advice or yeah. must listen to it. This is you need to make your own decision. So that's why we're having this episode. Bingo! That's it. You've got to make your own decision and Bingo. be your own advocate and ask the correct questions. But before we get into Dave Ramsey, um, Nicole has put together an awesome list for us. I know one of our other uh, podcast guests, Lee guest. Mm-hmm. would be in love with this list because he is a big Dave Grohl fan. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about the 10 best Foo Fighters songs according to Rolling Stone magazine. Court and I just recently saw Dave. Yes. Um, I guess it was about a month ago now. Oh my gosh, has it already been yeah, that long? I've seen Foo Fighters 
I think I figured I've seen him four times now. You know, this was the first time I've ever seen him. I'm sad that I never got to see him while Taylor was still alive. Yeah. But, you know, that's yeah. a different thing entirely. We love you, Taylor Hawkins. Yeah. But, yeah, it was the first time I'd ever seen him. It was a it was a fantastic night, a fantastic concert, and I would like to see them again. Except I also think I'm getting too old for those kinds of concerts. Yeah. Okay, so Switzerland, why don't you start? Number 10 on the list, we're working our way down to number one, is Stacked Actors. Lead song in There Is Nothing Left To Lose. This song is a furious screed. Is screed a word? It is indeed. A furious screed against the phonies of Hollywood. Now I'll have to admit, I'm a big Foo Fighters fan, and I looked at this, I was like, what song is that? And so I played it right before this episode. I was oh, like, that oh, was the one you played. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was like, I know that. I just don't think I ever knew the name of it. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's a great song. Mm-hmm. Is screed a synonym for like a rage? <laughs> I've read the word, and whenever I read the word, I think of sort of like a a, a, a long, speech that is angry yeah. and you a know. long speech or piece of writing, typically one regarded as tedious. There you go. A la- leveled layer of material applied to a floor or other surface. Oh, that's something else. So he gets real <laughs> detailed about the phonies in yeah. Hollywood. Mm. Uh, number nine, learn to fly. Mm, classic. I, I, don't like how this is so low. Can't believe this didn't make the top five, but whatever. Dave Grohl says that Learn to Fly is one of his least favorite songs Damn, from, Dave. from There Is Nothing Left to Lose. But the single brought the band to a whole new level of success. Their first single to enter the Billboard Hot 100, peaking at number 19. This was partially due to their hysterical video for the track featuring Tenacious D as airplane janitors. Interesting. I've never seen the video. Oh, they've got some fantastic As a youngster, videos. that is one music video that stuck in my head. Hmm. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Dave Grohl plays multiple characters on the plane. The pilot, a woman. Yeah. Oh, I do think yeah. I, I, I have images of Dave like dressed up as a as a flight attendant, flight attendant as, a, yeah. as a as a pilot and some other stuff like that. So is, yeah. But I mean, this is one that anytime you go to a Foo concert, you know they're going to play this. Mm. This um, they have to. Yeah. Um, okay, next on the list is number eight, Aurora. Aurora was never released as a single, and most casual fans don't know it, but the diehards feel it's one of the group's best. The band agrees. Yep, I love it. Interesting. Number seven on the list is one we've all heard, Monkey Wrench. Uh-huh. The recording of the Foo Fighters' second album, The Color and the Shape, was fraught with tension. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Drama. Monkey Wrench is a power punk song about freeing yourself from a messed up relationship. Yeah. I mean, all his songs are great storytelling. Oh, okay. Number six, All My Life. Yes, of course. When the Foo Fighters emerged from a three-year recording hiatus in 2002 with One by One, they decided it was time for a heavier sound. The lead single, All My Life, became a huge radio hit, justifying the unorthodox recording process. Interesting. Uh, number five, I'm going to go ahead and take number five, although I'd rather have number four. But um, <laughs> number five is Times Like These. Yes. Uh, so the lyrics to the second single from One by One were directly inspired by the album's difficult birth and Grohl's brief fear that the band might not survive the turmoil. Uh, the song became the second hit from the disc. And all of these songs hit so different. Now it's, I will admit it, the last concert we went to without mm-hmm. Taylor. Mm-hmm. All of these songs hit differently without Taylor there. And I I did get Mm -hmm. emotional on a couple of these. Mm -hmm. But I think that's what's a testament to the band is the songs are written with so much storytelling. And then they take on different meanings as the band has changed. Mm -hmm. Well, I I also have to say that their new drummer literally hits differently than than Taylor did. I mean, like the tempo of several of the songs was faster. Um, Certainly a lot of things were, in my opinion, louder, although I've never heard them live before, so I don't know for sure. But They're just loud. (laughs) It was very loud. Anyway. Yeah, Taylor was one of my favorite drummers. I've seen them in concert a couple times, and man, he was like a front man, but behind the drum set. Well, have y'all seen the the video of, tell them what number four is, and then I'll talk about the video. Okay. Number four is, there goes my hero. The Foo Fighters' 1998 hit song, My Hero, is forever linked to two classic teen movies, 1983's Valley Girl and 1999's Varsity Blues. Yep. Grohl says he wrote the song while watching teen movies like Valley Girl, and it was later used on the soundtrack to the James Vanderbeek high school football movie. Second week in a row we've mentioned a James Vanderbeek thing. (laughs) We had Dawson's Creek last week. The song, however, is about neither 
Valley Girls nor high school football in Texas. It's simply Grohl explaining that his real heroes as a child were regular people that he trusted and not rock stars or athletes. I love this song. I absolutely 100% love this song. I cannot believe that it's number four. It should be, I I won't argue that it's number one, but I would say that it's at least number two. It's it's my favorite song. Uh, What I was going to say before is there's a, a YouTube video. They recently did a concert. Uh, and it was after Taylor's passing, and they performed this song, and Taylor's son came on and played drums yeah. for this song, and it was yeah. just, it was absolutely heart-bursting. It was amazing. So, anyway, yeah, his, there, I mean, his story. son is as good as Taylor, yeah. and if he was older, I think that Dave would have him on tour. Mm. Okay, uh, another, God, they have such incredible songs. Number three, Best of You. This is definitely one of those that if I just need to jam out, I will throw this on in the car. Foo Fighters took the road in 04 to campaign alongside John Kerry. I don't think I knew that. The experience didn't put Kerry in the White House, but it did provide the band with the experience of working towards something greater themselves. They channeled the feeling into the song on their 05 LP, In Your Honor, Best of You, was the lead single, even though they've shelved it early in the process and only returned to it when their manager insisted. It became a worldwide hit and was even covered by Prince during the 07 performance at the Super Bowl. And that is widely acknowledged as the best Super Bowl per- halftime performance ever. Prince, yeah. Prince, yeah, easily. Just throwing that out there. Oh, I guess it's my turn again. Yep. Okay, uh, number two, The Pretender. By 2007, the Foo Fighters had learned they work best when they work very quickly. Echoes, Silence, Patience and Grace was cut with Pixies producer Gil Norton in just a month, even though they augmented their lineup with a keyboardist, string section, and even a lute player. Uh, The lead single, The Pretender, is simpler than many songs on the disc, though clearly one of the best. Grohl later admitted the song was subconsciously inspired by the Sesame Street song, one of these things is not like the other one. <laughs> and that album is low-key one of their best, in my opinion. Mm. Echo, Silence, Patience, mm. and Grace. So good. You're the pretender. It's, uh, yeah, it's, I don't know, you don't have a voice after you go to a food concert. <laughs> mm. All uh, right. You get the best one. I feel like you should have this. Hey, have it, and then I'll give a funny anecdote. Okay, and uh, number one, Everlong. Um, okay, before I read this description... I do have to say, I became a huge Foo Fighters fan because of my cousin Lee. He is a diehard Foo Fighters fan, and he made me one. I had Everlong play at my wedding the piano version of it, and I had that's what I had my bridal party walk down the aisle to. So Everlong is very ingrained in our family. Mm. Lee was seeing Foo Fighters with us about a month ago, and Dave did not play Everlong, mm. and it was a huge upset. That was supposed to be like, you know, all bands do the whole like, okay, we're done. And then they come back for the encore. They were supposed to do Everlong. As it, their encore. As yeah. their encore. They had two encore songs. They had The Teacher, which is the new one, which, oh, gut-wrenching. Don't listen to the lyrics of that one because then you'll just start crying thinking about Taylor. But Everlong was supposed to be the next one. And we were in Bentonville, Arkansas, and they had a curfew And so they were not allowed to keep going. They'd already gone past that point. And so that's why Dave did not get to play Everlong. But the amount of comments and tweets and everything that the Foo Fighters got because they did not play it. Like, and Dave came out at his next concert and was like, I couldn't do it. They were going to like get rid of us. They were going to kick us out. And mm. But yes, so so Everlong, um, a girl wrote this song in early 1997 when he realized his marriage was falling apart. He was falling in love with another woman, and he poured all of his feelings into these lyrics. The song became a decent-sized radio hit in America. It failed to crack the Hot 100, which surprises me. Months after it came out, Grohl was a guest on Howard Stern's show, and he played the track on acoustic guitar. It wasn't even a planned performance, but Howard loved it. He played it countless times on his widely syndicated show. It gave the song a whole new life, and to this day, Grohl credits Howard Stern with the song's incredible popularity. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love when songs or movies kind of have a, a birth after they were released, you know. Mm-hmm. They kind of fizzle out, and then something happens in pop culture, and they there it is. they become hot. Before we wrap the list, uh, a couple months ago, I was watching this video, I think, on TikTok. And you know how Kelly Clarkson has a, a morning show or something? She's oh, yeah. a, she has mm-hmm. a talk she show. She has a talk show, yeah. She had Dave Grohl on, and she's like, Dave, Learn to Fly is one of my favorite songs. The lyrics are so deep. Can you talk about the meaning behind it? What inspired you to write it? And he said, Kelly, I'm about to disappoint you. She said, why? He said, I just wanted to be a pilot when I was young. 
that's what the song's about. <laughs> She's like, no way. But I mean, that's Dave for you right there. He's yeah. just like, whatever. You know, Lee saw him at Memphis and May Barbecue Fest and didn't have anything for him to really sign. And he ran to his truck and got a baseball because Lee's, uh, you know, baseball coach. And Dave's like, I and hate sports, but okay, whatever. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, he's just so chill and just is what it is. I mean, the, the yeah, obviously we could talk about Dave Grohl for forever because mm-hmm. he, if you don't know, he was with Nirvana. He was the drummer of Nirvana. He mm-hmm. was there with Kurt Cobain. Didn't think he was going to play music ever again. And then, I mean, look at him now. Foo Fighters, everybody thought after Taylor passed away, he may not play ever again. And he just keeps rising from the ashes and just keeps giving us this amazing, raw, emotional music. Okay, we're each giving our own little uh, anecdote before we close out the list. <laughs> so I will give my last one. It's gonna it, it spins off of your your comment, Katie. Dave Grohl after after Nirvana fell apart, and Nirvana was never gonna be an ongoing consideration after Kurt Cobain killed mm-hmm. himself. So th- that was that was over. And uh, Dave Grohl was invited to play drums for Tom Petty on tour as the drummer for Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers on tour. And uh, he questioned whether that was really what he wanted to do. He had been toying around with some different sort of musical takes and possible, you know, band ideas and so forth and songs and so forth. And he didn't really know if he wanted to to take on the, the, the responsibility of being the drummer for Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. And so he ultimately ended up turning Tom Petty down and starting Foo Fighters instead. He had this possible gig with Tom Petty, of all people, and decided that he was going to go with Foo Fighters instead. And glad he did. I mean, I'm absolutely glad he did, because I think that Dave Grohl will continue to be, for a long time, is going to be a, a name that is, is on people of our generation's lips until he's, you know, an old man, probably. <laughs> Uh, good on you, Dave. But we're not here to talk about Dave Grohl. We he are here about his throne and when he broke like <laughs> when he broke his leg. Yes. Uh, we're not here to talk about Dave Grohl today. We've we've done enough Dave Grohl <laughs> talking. We are flipping gears hardcore. <laughs> yes, we are. We are slamming on the brakes. Dave Ramsey <laughs> is a financial advisor or a, a financial guru or maybe just a preacher, really. Almost, he is probably the opposite of Dave Grohl in in every possible way. I'm pretty sure he's... Gonna, so he's not rock and roll. Yeah, he's not rock, not and, roll. rock and roll. He's very conservative. I'm pretty sure he's evangelical Christian, and he's he's all about personal responsibility and financial responsibility, fiscal responsibility. So... Um, Cam, as I read this description about him, will you look up if he holds any licensing? I'm on it. Court, what you just said is correct. He's, he's an American personal finance expert, author, radio show host. Rise to prominence came after experiencing financial difficulties himself. He built a real estate empire, but eventually faced bankruptcy in the early 1990s due to excessive borrowing and a downturn in the real estate market. Following his bankruptcy, he began to study personal finance and developed a system to manage money and eliminate debt. He started sharing his financial advice through a radio show called The Dave Ramsey Show. Really original. Not as original as Bullcast, which began in 1992. The show gained popularity and is now syndicated across the U.S. It focuses on helping individuals and families take control of their finances, get out of debt, and build wealth. Yes, I have seen some of these videos of people screaming like, we're debt free, Mm -hmm. which just screams to me, 90s, like game show. I'm watching Righteous Gemstones right now, Mm -hmm. and that is very much religion amped up on like followers and like really jazz and glitter of it. And Mm -hmm. so interesting. So Dave got his start from financial ruin himself. Guys, it's not easy to find online. Maybe he buried it. One thing says, since he isn't selling mutual funds, insurance, or managing others' wealth, he doesn't need to be licensed. He, that is true. Uh, so as long as he's not giving financial advice. All I see advice. is he earned a bachelor's of science degree in finance and real estate. Okay. Yeah. Can't give any stock tips. He can't, uh, you know, he can't be out there pushing particular financial products. Uh, of course, if you've seen the news lately, he's been kind of in trouble. There are some of his listeners that are suing him because he pushed a, not a financial product, but a get out of timeshare 
He he pushed a service that was supposedly going to help people get out of timeshares, but it was it was bogus and it was just taking people's money and then not doing anything for them. And now uh, some of his listeners are suing him because he was he was pushing that that service. Um, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. We're not here to besmirch the name of Dave Ramsey, are we, Katie? Let me just solidify this on insuranceforums.com. Somebody said no, Dave Ramsey does not have a securities license or any other real financial certifications. Yeah, they sound a little burned by it, but we'll just. Just go with that. He does not have certifications. And let me put that disclaimer out there. Just because somebody has licensing, certifications, things like this, doesn't necessarily mean they're they're the best of the best. Mm-hmm. It is a training you have to go through. It is, you know, tests you have to take. Obviously, those are based off of skill sets and understanding and knowledge, and it's not a character test. Mm-hmm. I guess it goes both ways. Just because he doesn't have a license doesn't mean he doesn't know what he's talking about. And just because you have a license doesn't mean... You know what you're talking about. Does yeah. that make sense? Listen, um, since we're doing a pro and a con, and I'm uh, I'm you're I'm pro. on the pro side, you're I'm going to go ahead boy. and be devil's advocate okay. here and just sort of say, look, uh, his system has worked for a ton of people out there, and he is not pushing himself as a financial advisor. What he is basically saying is that he is a personal finance advisor slash guru, but that's different than a financial advisor. It's different than a wealth management person. This is a, he, what he basically is saying is I am a person that can help you structure your, uh, structure your personal finances in a way that you can be successful in life. So he basically helps people budget. We've got here a pros of Dave Ramsey and cons of Dave Ramsey. But what I'd like to do is, Cam, maybe you read the section and then y'all battle it out. We battle about that. Even though Mm -hmm. we've listed this as a pro, I want to kind of have a conversation about each of these because, again, we talked about Dave really kind of got his rise starting in 92. It is a common thing. I mean, I knew even before I got into the financial industry, I'd hear people talk about, oh, well, Dave Ramsey tells me to do this. And I was like, who the hell is Dave Ramsey? Mm-hmm. Because I, I didn't know. And it's there really is a lot of people following him. And it's they drank the Kool-Aid of Dave Ramsey. So. Yeah, he definitely has disciples because I just saw his net worth is $200 million. So it's not all, his advice is not only working for some people, it's working for him. Let's I mean, honest. if I just run into a stranger, and especially if it's a situation where the stranger is, uh, you, you know, like if I get in a cab or if I'm talking to a barber or something like that, something where they feel forced to carry on some sort of conversation with me, but they don't know me from Adam. Um, one of the first things they're going to do, obviously, is ask me what I do. And um, a lot of times for shorthand, because I don't really like to get into the long explanation of exactly what my position here at the company is, I'll just say I am a financial advisor or I work for a financial advisor, something along those lines. I don't talk about licenses and, you know, I just am like, I work at a financial advisor firm. And at least 50% of the time, and it's probably closer to like 75% of the time, they'll be like, oh, I love Dave Ramsey. I'm totally debt free. And, you know, that spawns conversations, we shall say. I mean, so, you know. Yeah, there are a lot of people out there that do love them. Some, and, you know, I became familiar with Dave Ramsey back in 1999 slash 2000, sometime around there, because my wife started listening to him uh, while we were living in in, uh, in Nashville. Where he's from. Yeah. And um, she, she was listening to him and, and taking all sorts of his advice. And he actually helped us not, not necessarily get out of debt, but cut down on our debt significantly. So um, that sort of snowballs into this first this first pro of Dave Ramsey. Yeah. So I'll restate the ground rules real quick. I will read the four pros, and then I'm going to read the four cons. And after each one that I read, each of you give a hot take. Mm -hmm. Yep. Okay, here we go. Pro number one, debt reduction. One of the core principles of Dave Ramsey's system is getting out of debt. I think everyone knows that. He is Mm -hmm. the snowball effect. Mm -hmm. That's what he wants with debt. Uh, He advocates for a debt snowball, I just said that, method, where individuals pay off their debts starting with the smallest balance first, which can provide a sense of accomplishment and motivation to continue the path to financial freedom. Mm -hmm. Court. Being pro-Dave, what are your thoughts on this debt reduction bullet point? Having been a person who has suffered from overwhelming debt before, um, debt that was heavy enough that Robert and I were suffering, we weren't we weren't at risk of filing for bankruptcy or anything like that. I don't want to give anybody the wrong impression, but we had a lot of debt, and uh, we were trying to get out from under it, and we were a young couple with very, very young children, 
and we, you know, really just finding our way. Um, at the time, this was long before I even went to law school. This was a, a long time ago. And like I said, Robin heard Dave Ramsey on the radio and listened to him and took several of his uh, pointers to heart. And uh, we were able to eliminate that debt. Um, and so from that perspective, it was very helpful to us because had we not eliminated that debt, credit card debt, you know, uh, other debts that we had, we probably would would be in a very different situation today than we are. Yes. Get rid of debt. Okay, cool. I agree with you, Dave. I agree with the fact that you need to get rid of debt. Obviously, debt holds you back. You can't move forward until you, you know, stop going backwards. Specifically with what he has here, the snowball method, mm -hmm. it can work for some people. I, I see the almost, we're a society of instant gratification. So if you're sitting here and you're looking at, you have 12 lines of debt and you've got one that just has, you know, $200 on it and the other ones are much, much higher. I see the need of like, hey, let's go ahead and knock out that low one. Let's just, you know, then that's, we're down from eight lines of credit. We're down to seven lines of credit. Okay. Yeah. That in theory makes you feel better. You're, you've got one knocked off. But where I see it differently, and again, it's a case by case, you've got to throw in the behavior of somebody. You've got to throw in what makes them feel good. Because at the end of the day, as you know, a financial professional myself, I've got to figure out what works best for my clients and what will make them be successful. And while this approach is you hit the smallest balances first, What's wrong with this is I take a different approach of it. I line up all your debt and I separate between, you know, the good debt and the bad debt. So with this scenario, I'm not talking about your fixed rates or like your, your cars, your houses, things like that. If we're talking about just credit card debt, let's attack the highest interest rate, the one that is costing you the most money. So that more than likely could be the one with the highest balance as well. And so while, yes, it may seem like you're not getting rid of it faster, you're actually helping yourself more because you're attacking the one that's costing you more instead of just knocking out the one with the lowest balance to make you feel good. And as a refresher to our listeners, we have an episode, one of our first episodes, episode 13, called Good Debt Versus Bad Debt. Mm -hmm. Go listen to that. And so you can uh, get a better idea of what we're talking about. Yeah, because one of the things that Dave says that uh, you should do is basically um, eliminate all debt. Dave is Dave is against debt entirely, and uh, you know, nope. living that debt-free lifestyle is uh, is I think very good for people who are. Um, I don't want to belittle anybody, but there's a future when it comes about debt elimination. So let's okay. let's argue that point in a second. Okay. Okay. Pro number two in the Dave Ramsey method is simple and practical advice. Ramsey's financial advice is straightforward and easy to understand. He breaks down complex concepts into simple steps, making it accessible to a wide audience. This simplicity helps individuals feel empowered and motivated to take control of their finances. I don't know if anybody could argue this. Yes, I, he, he does dumb it down. And which is what we kind of do. We try and make sure you understand this. There's, I don't have a problem with that. I'm all for that Dave Ramsey has gotten people to look at their finances and understand and make it seem more bite-sized. My concern here is that it says, because I'm, I'm being on the other side of this, he simplifies it, helps individuals feel empowered, straightforward, easy to understand. But I don't think he stresses enough individuality, like that every case is different. And so while this is like every episode, I'm pretty sure you hear us say, Court, you just said that there's, we're going to talk about that in a second. So I think this point we'll all agree. It's, you know, okay, cool. Good job. Pro number three, emphasis on budgeting and saving. Ramsey strongly promotes budgeting and saving as essential components of financial success. He encourages people to create and stick to a budget, allocate money towards an emergency fund, and save for retirement. This focus on budgeting and saving helps individuals build financial discipline and resilience. I agree. Yep, great. Can't really argue with that. No, nope, that's what I'm saying. Dave's not a bad guy. We agree on some things. Mm -hmm. And the last pro of Dave Ramsey is financial education. Through his books, radio show, and other resources, Dave Ramsey provides valuable financial education to his followers. 
He covers a wide range of topics, including budgeting, investing, retirement planning, and insurance, equipping individuals with knowledge to make informed financial decisions. And wow, this sounds like bullcast. <laughs> okay, come, come he, he's giving you financial information, but is he giving a balanced approach to it? We try and educate everybody, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and even the things that we may not agree on necessarily. Like we went through and talked about what happens if you have to go through bankruptcy? What about all those different levels of debt consolidation? Because... And again, I have not read his books. I have not really gone in depth into his stuff. But from my limited knowledge of it, I feel like he gives his advice, his information, but doesn't talk about the other side of it. Mm. And I think that this is a, a growing issue across the country. You listen to all your conservative friends. You listen to all your liberal friends. You're going to get conservative information, liberal information. To be fully well-educated and rounded, you need to understand both sides of everything and then form your own opinion, as you said, Cam, like at the beginning. Yeah, and I think also it separates Bullcast. It's weird to even compare them because Bullcast is this tiny, tiny little fish in a pond, and he's huge. Mm -hmm. But there are three of us with diverse backgrounds, and we kind of debate topics and mm -hmm. ideas. He doesn't really have anybody to debate him. He's just kind it's of... preaching. He's preaching. He's a preacher. Mm -hmm. He's Joel Osteen in the financial world. Let me give you an example of what I think it is he's doing that, because again, I'm devil's advocate here. I'm I'm playing the, the, the pro side of this. Well, and you've probably listened um, to it way more than the two of us. I have, I have heard him, although again, I was not the one that was the Dave Ramsey fan. That was my wife. My wife. Um, but th think about it like this. Have you ever heard the, the saying that, that most newspapers out there write to a third grade level. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're they're basically they have to write to uh, a, a denominator that will reach the biggest number of people and that the biggest number of people will understand and be able to appreciate and enjoy. Because let's face it, Dave Ramsey is nothing if not a capitalist machine that, that is trying to generate revenue. He is not in this for just the benefit of the people and, you know, it's all selfless. He is out there to make money. Uh, especially with all of his books and everything else that he does. He is looking to sell a product. And to be able to sell that product, people have to understand it and they have to appreciate it. So he is giving you a very basic level of understanding of personal finance. And uh, again, not to, to belittle anybody, but I think he probably dumbs it down some. And he does that to, to make sure that it reaches the broadest possible fan base, for want of a better way to put it. You know, you can't really necessarily fault him for that, given the size of his audience, just exactly how much he has to dumb it down, because he is reaching an extraordinary number of people. And to be able to to reach that number of people and have them all understand what it is he's saying, he's got to make it pretty darn basic. Your argument made it sound like he is not a fiduciary. Oh, he absolutely are. is not yeah, a fiduciary. A fiduciary, yeah. as a reminder, is an advisor, someone who has the client's best interest in mind. Mm -hmm. He's over there pitching products, trying to make money. Dave is giving general broad advice, not focused on one specific person. It's just sort of broad educational information. Uh, if he were to try and focus on a single individual's financial picture, and, and then whenever he takes a caller or somebody asks for something specific to themselves, he has to be very careful about the way he answers those questions because he could be taking on what would be considered a financial advisory role. And if he does that, then he has extra responsibilities to that person. So you will note that if he ever gives advice to an individual who is calling in and asking him for advice, that advice will be very general, again, and very basic, because he can't give specific advice to that person without potentially taking on that fiduciary role, and he does not want that. The danger with that is a lot of people don't know how to give that all that information up front. So, like, I just actually had a client email me and say, hey, I'm about to get a big bonus of, you know, $12,000. We're looking to buy a new car. Should I take this 12000 bonus and put it down on this car so my car payments are less? Well, I'm not speaking for Dave, but Dave may be like, yeah, that's going to get your debt yeah. taken care of that car down faster. Of course you should do that mm -hmm. versus me. And the client may not like it because most people want that instant like, hey, give me an answer immediately. I'm going to be like, hold on. Let, let's go back. Let's check. Where are you with this? Where are you with that? Let's discuss. Could this $12,000 that you're not going to put in this car, could it be used in a better position somewhere else? And so that's where then we can dive deeper and get more individual with it. And we're not just so pigeonholed on like, 
get out of debt. Mm -hmm. But let's get into the cons because I think we're going to get a little bit more meatier into these debates. Yeah, I know we got to get into cons, but if you have not seen his his talk show, it always plays out the same way. He's at his desk. He has his big headphones on with his microphone. A caller says, Dave, I have this much amount of debt, and it's usually an insane amount. And uh, they say, I want to get out of debt. And he asks them, how much in debt are you? They tell him, he writes it down. And then he says, how much do you make? They tell him, he writes it down. And then he says, what'd you major in in college? Is that, is that what you're doing in the field? And they usually say no. And then he says, what the heck is wrong with you? That's always how it plays out if you've seen the show. And then he tries to give them advice, but it's basically like, why did you get yourself into this mess? You're, you're going to have to suck it up and deal with it and fix it That's now. It. Every single show, yeah. but he's got a following. Okay, the cons of Dave Ramsey. And as a reminder, Katie is on the con side. One-size-fits-all approach. Critics argue that Dave Ramsey's advice is too rigid and doesn't account for the individual circumstances and goals of each person. Katie's over here nodding Mm -hmm. aggressively. His system assumes everyone has the same financial priorities and should follow the same steps, which may not be suitable for everyone's situation. Yes. (laughs) Well, again, I, you know, he's got a broad audience. He is not trying to take on any sort of fiduciary role with his audience. He is strictly trying to give people... Some basic helpful advice, it's like when we say when when he talks about budgeting and so forth. Well, yeah, you should be budgeting. Everybody out there should be budgeting. You should have a budget. You know, you should pay off your credit cards at the end of every month. You shouldn't be carrying credit card debt. These are things that everybody can get behind. So, I don't know what the problem is, guys. I mean, I mean he's know. he's saying enough of the right things of like, hey, this is what you should or shouldn't be doing mm-hmm. that. It's making people go, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, okay, I need to do that. Not trying to say something about society as a whole, but we have to put a disclaimer on coffee cups at McDonald's of caution contents may be hot because somebody sued McDonald's because their coffee was hot and burned their lap. So I know there's more to that story, but I'm saying we have to have disclaimers on top of disclaimers on top of disclaimers with things. And where I think the issue is, is that, and I I stress this to people who are trying to get financial advice from TikTok. No. Yes. No. (laughs) What they are saying may be fine and may be correct in some situations, but you almost need it to be like if Dave's saying, hey, you need to not have this. You need to have not that. You need to not have this debt if it fits with your situation. Mm -hmm. I feel like he almost like every like couple of minutes needs to be shocked of saying like if it fits with you, if it's in your individual situation, this is not for everybody. And it's like, I feel like we're so stuck in our minds because obviously, you know, we have a compliance that is talking to us and Mm -hmm. it's all based on, I can't say, hey, Cam, you should have rental property and you should have passive income because this, this, and this. Like, (laughs) I can't say that to you. Passive income. Passive income. That's the buzzword. (laughs) Because, I mean, obviously I do know your financial situation, but I can't just blanketly say that to you without diving into stuff. We say, like, if it fits with you, it may be the case. Or Court's favorite phrase, it it depends. depends. And I feel like that is where Dave is sending people down the wrong path because, okay, let's, let's take it out of the financial realm of it. Weight loss. That is the biggest cult of it all that somebody goes, oh, I lost, you know, 60 pounds on Jenny Craig. And I don't know, is Jenny Craig still even around? (laughs) Um, We'll go with Weight Watchers. Weight Watchers. And Sarah Bar's like, yes, yes, she did it. They did it. But they're not explaining like... She also had a personal trainer. She also did this. She And also the, their body type is completely it, different from yours? Yeah. Mm. Like it's, they're not specifying all of the specifics that went into it and they're generalizing it. When someone is up to their eyeballs in debt, they're desperate. They're desperate in the situation that they're going to grasp to whatever seems right. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, this guy is saying I'm going to be able to get out of debt. I can do this. So they're going to listen to everything he says. And while what he says is not necessarily wrong... It just may not be the best approach for somebody. And so that's my issue of the one size fits all approach is that's not true at all. That goes really absolutely against everything that our podcast stands for, that it isn't a one size fits all. It is truly a relationship that you have with a financial professional, with a tax professional, with a a legal professional to find out what fits you. Now, yes, could your plan be similar to your best friends or your neighbors? Yeah, but... If one small situation changes in your life, you could be on two totally different plans. And so that's that's my issue is it's not a one size fits all. If he wants to do that, he needs to put a big old disclaimer on it. This is just general information and may not be right for everybody. Con number two, and I think we referenced this earlier. 
overemphasis on debt elimination. While reducing debt is important, some argue that Ramsey's system places too much emphasis on debt elimination at the expense of other financial goals. For example, he advises individuals to postpone investing for retirement until they are completely debt-free, which may not be the optimal strategy for everyone. Again, since I am... I love that you have to keep repeating. <laughs> pretending to be pro on Dave Ramsey here, I think that there is value in his advice to people when it comes to people that, that otherwise might lack the self-discipline to manage their debt while also managing some of their other goals. There are people that need to have that single-minded, laser-focused goal, single goal that they are going to accomplish that one goal before they do anything else because they cannot have the distraction. They cannot have multiple things going on at once. And for those people, this is the perfect kind of advice. You need to eliminate this debt. You need to get all of those credit cards paid off. You need to live your life as though debt is not an option because if you believe that debt is an option, you'll just get in trouble again. So he basically is just wiping that out as a possibility for these people and saying, no debt for you. And um, for, for the people that need that approach, I think it is extraordinarily helpful because, you know, ultimately you, you can talk to any number of uh, disciples of Dave Ramsey out there who will say, like, we're debt free because of Dave, you know, and for them, great. You know, so. Congratulations, you're debt free, but what do you have to show for it? You have no debt. OK, but I, I'm being on the way extreme of the con side of this. Yes, being debt free feels good. But what cost does it come to you? Because I have had several clients, I've had several friends that I've tried to take off the Dave Ramsey train mm -hmm. because their life was actually more limited living the Dave Ramsey life than working with me on a balanced approach. I wonder if Dave talks about behavioral finance, because that is what this is. Someone who who has to have that focus of, I can't have debt. I can't do it. He has almost been like the boogie monster and scared some of these people so much that having debt is so bad. It's, it's a moral issue. It goes against their financial religion, almost, it seems like. And the thing is, is that there is a difference between good debt and bad debt. A couple of friends of mine, they were living the Dave Ramsey life. And I asked them why. So why, why are you doing this? Because I was curious. And both of them had situations of where their families had gotten in trouble with debt and were still having to work, which should have been their golden years now where they're retired, they're enjoying life, but they're still having to work because of the debt that they had carried with them all these years. Okay, that's a behavioral thing. That is something that we need to dive deeper into. That is a fear that they're going to be like their parents, that they're not going to be able to retire, that they're not going to position themselves in a good way. That is where those people need a financial partner. They need to know, be educated on how they can have that balanced approach, that they can leverage debt in their favor. I agree. There are some people who can't handle debt. They can't handle credit cards. They can't handle things like that. They need to be, this is how much money I make. This is how much money I can spend. I, I don't borrow from anybody. Mm -hmm. Online, I'm seeing a blog post on the Dave Ramsey site written by one of his children. And remember, I'm Switzerland, so tell me your thoughts yeah. on this. Uh, for years now, my dad, Dave Ramsey, has said that personal finance is 20% head knowledge and 80% behavior. That's why his proven plan for getting out of debt relies on changing your behavior instead of throwing a bunch of numbers and formulas at you. I agree. Mm -hmm. It is behavioral. And that's where I, I do like that the financial industry is going more that direction, talking about the behavioral. But I take it further. He's talking about behavioral. He's talking about behavior of masses. I'm talking about the behavior of an individual. I want to get to know you. I want to know what your mama, your daddy, your brother, your sister. I want to know how all of their behavior with money impacts how you are today with it. And so I do have a situation where I know somebody who was on Dave Ramsey's show, got out of debt, like had large amounts of student loan debt. And I'm just now diving into this relationship with this person. But outsider looking in, Dave helped them get out of debt. We're on the show, big, massive. They got to do the woohoo, we're debt free. And I wish they could be on Dave's show today because they're struggling again. And the decision for them to throw so much money towards getting them fully out of debt has put them in a very bad situation versus if they had had more of a in-between approach where let's get a little bit of the debt eliminated. Let's find a smarter way to manage this debt but that's not going to put you where you're stuck because not everybody has bukus of money coming in. 
there are times in order for you to have what you need to have in life, you do have to borrow because there may be where you're waiting for that next raise or you're waiting for something to happen or you're waiting for kids to get out of college and not be such a drain on your bank accounts and you don't have excess funds. So that's where you can smartly leverage money. But sometimes these Dave Ramsey approach puts you in a worse situation and can put you in even a deeper depression because you can say X amount of years ago, I was debt-free, living fancy, and now I am so ingrained in my brain that I can never borrow money from anybody that I am brainwashed to the fact that I can't even help myself get to a better situation. And that's what's sad to me. And now, again, that is an extreme. With every situation, every, you know, I know Court's kind of giving me the the look as a, as a Dave Ramsey pro right now. Biggest fan there ever was. <laughs> the biggest fan there ever was. So now I'm brainwashed. You are, basically yes. what my looks. There's extremes to both sides of it. I get that. Because there are some people it works great for, but there are some people that I've seen that it, it hasn't. Mm-hmm. And it's it's been really sad. And that's where I wish that it could just be, look, just as the advice I give to a client, I tell them it's my advice. You take it or leave it. And if somebody comes crawling back to me and says, hey, you know what, I, I didn't take that advice and I'm, I'm in this situation now, I'm not going to scold them. I'm going to say, OK, let's figure it out. Let's go from there. But that's where somebody who follows the Dave Ramsey advice and if it doesn't work for them, they don't have a partner that they can really go to. They can't call Dave and be like, hey, you know what, I did your stuff and it didn't work. That call is not getting it on the TV show. That call is not getting on the radio show. Where's the other side of Dave Ramsey? I know I'm Switzerland, but my biggest hangup I've had with Dave Ramsey, and I've talked with friends and they have the same one, is that he's, you know, get rid of all debt. But what if you need to get your credit checked, like renting an apartment, getting a car, everything in this world? If you have no credit, you're screwed, unless you just have a ton of cash on hand, but that's not realistic. So, I mean, what are your thoughts, Court, on that? Um, And and you can can break character if you want. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think to a certain degree, you have to understand that um, if you have had debt in the past and you've paid it off, then you have a credit history. If you have uh, utility bills, then you have a credit history. They're now saying that, um, for instance, paying rent on time can positively affect your credit history. So, there are ways to develop a credit history and a, a positive credit history without necessarily taking on debt. Now, one of the things that we've talked about when we talked about your credit score low many years ago that we discussed that, one of the things that we talked about is what goes into uh, one of the big factors of your credit score is whether or not you have credit available to you and how much of the credit you have available to you has been used. And so if you're not going out there and getting a, a credit card, opening a credit card so that you have that credit available, listen, even if you don't ever use it, just having that credit card open and having that credit available to you, as a matter of fact, if it's open and you're not using much of it, that's good for your credit score. But if Dave Ramsey's advice to people is going to be, don't get credit cards at all, don't open those credit accounts, don't do anything like that, then... Uh, you're you're cutting off a significant part of what positively affects your credit score because having that credit available, whether you use it or not, or actually, especially if you don't use it, having that credit available is very beneficial to your credit score. But you know, uh, th- there are ways to build credit without uh, without necessarily having debt. And as a refresher, our credit score conversation was episode 15, way back in the day uh, from September of 2020. So one of the things you said, Cam, and that kind of goes into your next con, but, you know, he believes that individuals should postpone investing for retirement until they're completely debt free. Mm -hmm. So that's a problem because it could take somebody a very long time to get out completely debt free, Mm -hmm. completely have their house paid for, their cars paid for, everything. So then you're putting yourself behind in order to get to retirement. Well, let me ask you this, though. What good does it do me? I think it all depends on the kind of debt we're talking about. What good does it do me to earn nine or ten? And again, I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Uh, (laughs) What good does it do me to earn, let's say, you know, a really good return, nine or ten percent or, uh, you know, an average return, whatever, however you want to uh, characterize 9 or 10%. Let's say, what good is it for me to earn 9 or 10% on something uh, towards my retirement down the road if it's costing me 20% interest on, I'm having to pay 20% interest on this credit card debt that I have right now? When we're talking about credit card debt, yes. 
But so what I have heard is that he wants your cars paid for, your house paid for, your credit cards, everything. Mm -hmm. So if someone was coming to me, then I look at it as the balanced approach of, hey, especially if your company's matching, like, let's put a little bit into retirement. Let's at least keep that discipline going. You know, if you've got your house, then it's probably going to most likely be a fixed payment. Do not pay extra on it right now because we're now tackling your credit card debt. We're tackling different things. It is such a case-by-case basis because when someone comes to me, if we've covered all the bases, you know, they don't have any credit card debt, then all we're dealing with is, say, student loans, cars, and houses. Well, student loans are going to have its own approach because that is that is a debt in its own that it's... <laughs> It's not a good debt or a bad debt. It's a good witch. Sorry, that was just a random pop culture. Student loans are kind of in their own realm. And so I would approach that differently. But I want a client to make sure they're covering all their bases, that they've got a comfortable emergency fund, that they are putting a little bit towards retirement, but they're also putting a little bit towards, you know, education, if that's a priority, a little bit towards a vacation fund or a in the next 5, 10, 15 year account. And so it really is a situational. And so that's where how we act here is if, you know, Cam called me and said, I don't know what happened. We blinked and we got $20,000 worth of credit card debt. Okay, stop everything. Let's take a look at every element of this. Let's see. Do we need to change any of your contributions to retirement accounts? Do we need to change, you know, what you're contributing to education accounts or anything like that? Let's take a look at everything and address that situation. But it's not going to always be, okay, Cam, like stop contributing to your retirement at all. Let's get this credit card taken care of because that's not always the best decision because you've got to also make sure that you have money in retirement. Mm. Like that's important. But it's, I also tell people, I don't want it to be that you're saving so much money in retirement that you're not thinking about today or the next five, 10, 15, 20 years, Mm -hmm. because then that's a problem too. So that's again where it's it's your favorite phrase, Court. It depends. It is truly the issue that I have with Ramsey is you don't know until you dive deeper. We've got to dive deeper into each of these individuals and you can give a general opinion about debt and what you should and shouldn't do. But I think he ultimately needs to end every one of his things of seek help, seek someone who can sit there and seek help, <laughs> seek someone who can map out your particular Girl, situation. You're crazy. Seek help. <laughs> All right. Con number three. This is something Katie's hit on lack of nuance and investment advice. Okay. I'm just going to go back to, um, you know, he is preaching to the masses. And I think, you know, in, in a big way, he is literally preaching to the masses and, uh, when you're doing that, you've got to basically give some good, broad, general advice. Uh, we're not dealing with a whole lot of specifics here because, you know, he's just trying to give give a message out there. And overall, the message is a good one. You need to you need to invest. You need to make sure that your money is working for you. These are some some vehicles that you might want to consider using without getting into specifics um, because he can't get into specifics. He wants to make sure your money's working for you, but he doesn't want to leverage your money by using debt in a positive way. It's an issue. What's important, this point says, while this approach may work well for many people, it may not consider the specific risk tolerance or Mm. financial goals of individuals. Again, it's general information that he's able to give. Mm. It's just like we can't say, hey, go buy XYZ stock because it's doing great. Yeah. Because again, that's the person that comes in and says, hey, I've got $20,000. I'd like to invest with you. If I don't dive deeper and find out, well, they also have $20,000 of the credit card debt and they have no retirement account and they have no this and that. You can't take face value. And same thing with where it's not Dave's fault is most people put out the information that is immediately pressing to them. And they don't take a step to look at the ripple effect of it. They may say, hey, Dave, I've got, you know, $100,000 worth of debt. I want to be debt free. Doesn't explain. I have five kids. I need to also save for their education. I'm going to be building my own business. I want to buy a new house in two years. Like doesn't get into all the devil of the details. And it's just like, he goes, okay, as you said, Cam, like $100,000, how much do you make? Blah, 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 blah. Let's put a plan together. What are you doing? Yeah. Or whatever it is he said. 
And wrapping up our con list and the show, I think, is limited consideration for socioeconomic factors. Ramsey's advice tends to be geared towards middle class individuals and may not fully consider the challenges faced by those in lower income brackets or with unique circumstances. Critics argue that his approach may not be as effective or practical for individuals facing systemic financial disadvantages. Yeah, and that's my biggest harp on it is that Obviously, somebody who... She has multiple harps, ladies and gentlemen. This is her biggest harp. She's got one you can carry around in the crook of your arm and just play it like an angel. Oh, oh, bling, 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 bling. But this is the big one. This is a big harp. How did that harp sound again? Bling, 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 bling. bling. (laughs) Sounds more like (laughs) banjo-ish. That goes with my crutch sound. Speaking of Dave Ramsey in Tennessee. (laughs) Again, that's where if if you've got plenty of money coming in, you're spending below what you've got coming in, then you may be able to take care of debt. You may be able to live within those means, not have the debt anymore, and be fancy free of, hey, I don't have any debt. But some of those people that unfortunately don't have enough money coming in to cover what they actually need. And that is way more people than you think it is. And especially I know right now, there is a big group of people who I think overspent during the pandemic and are now finding themselves in debt issues. And it's, I'm having to have conversations with people where there is no good option. I'm sorry, you've just, we've got to find a way to make you more money Mm -hmm. because there is no other option to cut. You've got these commitments already with debt. You've got these commitments out there. We've got to try and be creative and figure this out. And it's going to be a step-by-step thing. So yeah, once we get past that, then they're going to be okay. But they're probably going to, for a while, have to have some certain level of debt. Me, you know, I have a mortgage. I have a car note, like things like that. If I was having to pay out fully for those things, I'd put myself in a bad situation. Mm-hmm. And so that's where having that healthy level of understanding and balance Somebody who has a bunch of money, they can afford to pay cash for a house, pay cash for a car. But that's not always the best decision for somebody who is not in a position where there's just money coming in left and right. Just don't lose sight of the fact that what this criticism is actually saying is that Dave Ramsey is not taking basically the lower classes into consideration Mm -hmm. in his advice and the poorer people and the people that um, uh, that are struggling to make ends meet. Um, and one of the things that, again, I apologize, I'm bending over backwards here to try and make this a prose, but (laughs) one of the things that I think you, you, you might be failing to see if you buy into this criticism of him is the fact that lower income people probably can't afford credit to begin with. Mm -hmm. They they can't qualify for credit, so they can't get into debt. He's, He's specifically trying to help people get out of and stay out of debt. And so, you know, he, he is focused on those people that can actually accumulate debt. Whereas, uh, somebody who has a very low income and, uh, you know, not significant assets probably is not in danger of getting into a lot of debt. I don't know. I'm spitballing here. To the extent that he is ignoring the, the lower income people, it's it's inexcusable. Um, because, again, as I have argued before, he is trying to appeal to the masses. And that would certainly include those who are struggling to find their way out of poverty and so forth. And if he's not, if he is ignoring that demo, then I think that he should probably stop ignoring that demo. That's probably the area that needs the most help. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They need, they need more education on how they can try and get to a point where they can leverage some debt to help them get in a better situation. Yeah. A lot of times we're talking to people about what they should do with money, with their money. They have money and we're we're trying to help them figure out what to do with their money. Somebody needs to be providing the, the sort of advice on, okay, look, you've got a very minimal income. You are in a, a, a you know, you're poverty stricken. This is, this is your circumstance. This is what you can do to try and get out of it. And it doesn't involve necessarily going to Harvard and incurring a lot of student debt and, you know, um, student loan debt and getting a degree in underwater basket weaving. You know, there are ways that you might be able to improve your circumstances, legal ways that you might be able to improve your circumstances. And it starts with this, this and this. Is anybody really out there giving that kind of, of advice? 
to that class of people, to that demographic of people. And I think we could easily incorporate workforce development into this conversation, but that's for another day where college is not for everybody, especially <laughs> going into a debt, into a degree in which you will not find a job. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, kind of wrapping this up, I guess this, is it bullseye this will time? be my bullseye. Okay. Dave Ramsey's obviously been around for a long time. He has built an empire. He's very successful at what he does. I agree with some of his stuff. And just as, you know, there may be people who don't agree with what I say, and that's fine. That is where I challenge you that your finances are the most important thing about you. Um, we we had Caden, our intern. I remember one day he made some comments to me about how he was shocked how much finances are like involved in every and like how we're involved in so many people's things. And I said, because finance is at the heartbeat of everything. And we've talked about that on this podcast before, but finances are not sexy. They're not something you want to talk about. They can be very uncomfortable, but you need to take responsibility for your own financial status. You need to do your own research, figure out who you want to talk to and listen to, and don't necessarily just go, I'm just going to believe Dave Ramsey, or I'm just going to believe Bullcast. Take your own opinion. Ask the questions. I'm wrapping up my master's course right now. And so many of the comments and stuff is it depends. It is a client by client thing. But the biggest thing is that clients should be asking their professionals the questions. They should have an understanding of what they're doing. And everything should not stays the same at all times. It should constantly be evolving. And as we dawn into this age of robo advisors and AI taking over things, it is so much more about the person, the story behind, and that I want to know Cam and his family and his story. What do we need to do today to make Stella become president of the United States? Like mm-hmm. <laughs> those are things that I want to talk about. But the thing is, is, you know, if he comes to me six months from now and something has completely changed in his life, then it's, you know, like in Clueless, we're just going to get to the kitchen. We're going to rearrange things and make it work. Mm-hmm. So, you know what? That's what you got to do. So pick who you want to listen to. Have a little variety of, you know, Ramsey and Bullcast. As Nicole wrote on here, we are always here for you, Bullcast. We launch a new episode every Thursday at 12. Hey, that's my spiel. (laughs) Um, That is my spiel. We try and tailor. Stay in your lane. We try and tailor this advice to be very broad. And as Cam noted, the three of us, yes, we all work at the same place, but we do all have different backgrounds and try and add some fun to this and really, uh, you know, just try and give you some information, both sides of it. Um, So I'll close out for my, it's not really a bullseye, but I'll just, for my little bit here, um, I read an article today, and it was the the way that articles are now, which is like, oh, we saw this on social media, and we're rewriting it in the form of an article, quote unquote. <laughs> you know, it's not really an article, um, but uh, you know, Huff Post or BuzzFeed or somebody like that posted an article, and it was an article about Dave Ramsey, and it was an article about some advice that he had given to one of his listeners, and the listener called in. She was a seventy dollars to $100,000 a year pharmacist, but she also had significant student debt from getting that degree in pharmaceuticals, science, or whatever it is. And she was married, and uh, her husband also had a job making around $30,000 a year, and they had a child. And she called in to Dave and wanted to know how she could quit working and become a stay-at-home mom. And when I saw the headline, it was something like Dave Ramsey advises someone who wants to quit their job and become a stay-at-home mom. And I thought, oh, Lord, Dave Ramsey's going to tell her, just do this, this, and this, and you'll, you know, you'll be able to do it. And to his uh, credit, Dave Ramsey basically told this woman, you were in a situation where you took on a ton of debt to become a pharmacist, and you are the major breadwinner in this couple that you are in with your husband making significantly less than you. No, you cannot just quit your job and become a stay-at-home mom and rely on your husband's $30,000 a year job when you're giving up a $70,000 a year job. You're going to have to work. You're going to have to continue to work and pay toward that student loan debt and, you know, actually pay toward your living expenses I could see somebody saying like, yes, your children are the most important thing. You've got to stay home with them and, you know, do whatever you have to if you need to move into a smaller place so that you can be there for your kids. 
and that is great advice and you know the children are our future and all of that but <laughs> you cannot you you can't just drop a job that makes that kind of money a job that you went into significant debt to get in the first place uh, because you've decided that you, you know, don't want to work anymore. That's just some, that that would be some bad advice. And that is not the advice that he gave. And so I, I was kind of like, okay, Dave, well, I see you. Our job is hard. I've had to, lately, it seems like I've had to give some really not great news to people of, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, it you can't retire at this time, or you're going to have to quit spending as much, or you're going to have to try and find a better paying job. Mm-hmm. And it's not fun, but Somebody's got to tell you that. Somebody's got to tell you the truth. You got these student loans. You picked this career. So either your husband needs to try and yeah. find a different career and make more money, or you got to suck it up. And, and it's possible that that's what she was looking for. Maybe she was looking for Dave to, to say to her uh, and, and thus to her husband via her, you know, okay, look, if your husband's living his dream and making $30,000 a year, but he could be making $150,000 a year and he's just not because he wants to be an artist or something like that, then, you know, maybe she was looking for Dave to say, well, your husband needs to step up. But that's not what he said. He basically was like, look, you got to you got to earn enough that you can cover your debts and cover your cover your bills. Yeah, I see the story on Yahoo News. Ramsey said her story should be a cautionary tale to anyone listening who had aspirations to become a pharmacist and, in quotes, make a lot of money. Oops, he said. Now I want to be a stay at home mom. (laughs) It's wild. I've dealt with clients like that who've asked those questions. Bullseye. There's no, there is no magic bullet here, ladies and gentlemen, but there's the closing bell. Ladies and gentlemen, you've made it to the end of yet another episode of the Bullcast podcast. If you liked what you heard, and some of you may not, <laughs> some of you may be like, they hated on Dave Ramsey. We don't like them anymore. But for those of you that did like what you heard and you'd like to hear more, please feel free, if you haven't already, to go to your favorite subscription service and sign up to have our podcast beam directly to your listening device every single Thursday at noon. If you'd like to find out more about Katie Pickler, Cameron Spann, and Court Winsett, go to our website. Check that out. It's bullcastpodcast.com. We've got bios up over there. Uh, I think there are links to our episodes from that from that website. And you can also drop a comment. Uh, you can uh, suggest a topic if there's something you'd like to hear us talk about. You can suggest a guest if there's somebody that you'd like to hear us have on. If you like pictures, well, we've got them, uh, especially since Nicole started working for us. It seems like she's always making me pose for pictures. <laughs> uh, and we post a lot of those pictures on Instagram. That Instagram handle is at Bullcast Podcast. And um, who knows? For now, we do have a Twitter handle, although that might soon enough become a Threads handle. Who knows? But for now... Our Twitter handle is at Bullcast Podcast as well. We also have a Facebook page. That's Bullcast The Podcast. And finally, ladies and gentlemen, Cameron, Katie, and I all work for a place called Pickler Wealth Advisors. And if you would like to find out more about our company, find out what it is that we do, what we can do for you, find out about our amazing team and about our boss, David Pickler, then please feel free to go to that website. All of that information is there. That website is picklerwealthadvisors.com. That's advisors with an O. Not an E. Ladies and gentlemen, I have, as always, tried to give you everything that you need to go forth and be merry. So for now, I am Court. I'm Katie. I'm Cam. And we're done. We're done.